0: Okay, good morning. Thank you again for your patience being here in the Fenway room. Normally, the kids are, um, the, this, the nursery's in this room, uh, but every once in a while, the hotel uh, bumps us over to this room, so the kids have to go up. So, uh, uh, thank you uh, just for your patience in that. Why don't you rise for the uh, teaching of God's Word? Matthew 27:62. Starting off in verse 62, another short announcement, by the way. I, again, I think Dave announced the ministry meeting at our house. If you need to know uh, how to get there, if you're interested in coming to this potluck dinner or you're interested uh, just in hanging out with us, um, you can uh, let me know, and we'll, we'll let you know how to get there. Uh, and if you have children, the preference is that you get a babysitter, Uh, There is child care provided there. The strong preference, though, is if you can get your own babysitter. Uh, It's getting a little nutty at my house with the whole ministry team. (laughs) So uh, uh, I'd appreciate that. Okay, Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed, he is going uh, before you into Galilee. There you will see him, behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. Let's pray. Lord, what a a glorious message that you are not dead, you are alive. And God, I just pray this morning that you would teach us everything that that means, Lord. God, we don't just want to sort of know that intellectual fact that you're alive. We want to to live in that reality, Lord, that, that you're alive, that you're living. That you were ever interceding on our behalf. That we have new life in you. Every minute of every day, Lord. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd open up our eyes, our hearts, and my mind. And our souls, Lord, to what the Holy Spirit is, is trying to tell us this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful. In the last couple of weeks in our study of the book of Matthew, uh, we were brought to the very foot of the cross. Of course, not literally, uh, of course, but but by the living and powerful Word of God, God wants to bring every man and every woman and every child to the foot of the cross, because once a man or a woman or, or a child makes it there, they don 't leave unchanged. to be sure, Satan will do whatever he can. To prevent a person, a man, a woman, or child, from going to the foot of the cross. Why? Because for two thousand years now, the cross has been softening the heart of people to God. The cross has been opening hearts uh, to God. It's the cross has been ushering people uh, into an everlasting relationship with God. You know, within just a, a few minutes of Jesus' death. We saw within just a, a few message of uh, a few minutes of, of Jesus' uh, death, we saw the cross. What happened there? Break wide open the uh, hearts of men that, to an outside observer, were so hard and, and so closed that all the angels of of, of heathen wouldn't have been able to pry them open. Who were they? The Roman soldiers we we saw, who in verse 28 through 35 of Matthew 27, we saw them scourge Jesus, we saw them strip him, we saw them put a scarlet robe on him uh, and bow down and, and mock him. They spat on him, they beat him, they scourged him, then they took a hammer and drove two nails or, um, or three nails, uh, through his feet and and, and uh, through his hands, and they fastened him to a cross. And that was at, at nine o'clock in the morning, by the way, at, but three, uh, by uh, three o'clock when he died, it, it says in verse 54, they feared greatly, saying, surely this is the Son of God. First they had seen Jesus after they had fastened him to the cross and and lifted him up. uh, They saw how he responded to being crucified, which was, uh, as we have seen, the most humiliating death uh, uh, form of execution uh, known at the time, so much so that it was outlawed by the Romans to crucify a Roman. Only slaves and foreigners could be uh, crucified. They saw how he responded, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was talking to them, he was talking to them. I wonder if it was those words that just began to pry uh, their hearts open. Uh, Then uh, they saw how Jesus responded uh, to the repeated mocking and reviling of those who passed by. Verse 39, those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, You uh, who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest, he saved others himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if uh, he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. They saw how he responded to that. The Bible says that when he was reviled, he reviled not in return. Verse 45 says that from 12 noon uh, to 3 o'clock, uh, they sat there, the Roman soldiers, as darkness fell over the land. Uh, I can assure you that the mocking stopped at that point. Because let me tell you, that was in the middle of the day, 12 noon, it was as night it was as night. I can tell you the mocking stopped. There's no doubt in my mind that pe- people began to freak out. I mean, something normal is not happening here. And, and so then the, the, the Roman soldiers are, are witnessing all of this. And then in verse 50, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, uh, the Greek word for loud, mega. Uh, we all know what that means. Mega. Mega an exceedingly great voice, a mega-loud voice. What did he cry out in a mega-loud voice? It is finished, we know uh, from uh, the Gospel of of John. It is finished, or it has been accomplished, paid in full. Then we read, uh, he gave up his spirit, and right then, a great earthquake would uh, split open those massive rocks and cliffs that you see everywhere in Israel, Uh, uh, And so, again, in in verse 54, what happened? Those same soldiers that had uh, stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, twisted a a crown of thorns on his head and bowed down to him, mocking him, who spat on him, scourged him, crucified him. They're saying, truly this, truly this is the Son of God. And so the cross... Then, and it has been ever since, prying open, softening hearts, opening hearts ever since. And, you know, as a pastor, as a church, you know, we must resist at all costs taking the cross from our faith. You know, the, the, the church for the last 200 years, uh, the suffering that has happened in the church, in this city... Because of, uh, of pastors and seminarians and, and these kind of people taking the cross uh, out of the church. And, and so, uh, I believe that God has called you here and me here uh, to put it back in. Uh, front and center. You know, there may be hard hearts in this city, but let me tell you, they're no harder than the hearts of those Roman soldiers. God will pry them open. He will soften. He'll open up even the hearts of the men and women uh, in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. And so the cross, we need to keep it ever front and center of our faith. But guess what? We would have never heard about the cross. We would never have known a thing about it. It would be like a little footnote in a historian's book, some obscure uh, uh, historian's book, if it wasn't for what happened next. So let's read verses, uh, uh, let's read on in, in verse 60. And, and right before then, in, in verses 57 uh, through 61, Jesus' body had been prepared for burial uh, and left in the tomb. Verse 60 says, a large uh, a stone, uh, the, uh, the Greek word for large, anybody, the Greek word for Large. Mega, that's right, a mega stone had had sealed uh, the opening of the tomb. Uh, By the way, the book of Mark says it was a very large, a very mega large uh, 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 stone. The tomb, uh, tomb, by the way, uh, would have been uh, one of those walk-in tombs that they had in the first century. Uh, It would have had the size of a door, as we know, doors about seven feet by three feet, if not larger. It says in verse 57 that Joseph, whose tomb it was, was a rich man, and and rich people at that time had very large tombs. And they found one actually in Jerusalem. They found the tomb of actually the high priest Annas, an enormous tomb. And so these things were big. And, and so you can only imagine the size of the stone, this mega stone, to, and to roll it in front of uh, a, a door opening. It would take several men to do it. They, they were two tons, these stones. And uh, it took levers to put um, uh, the, the stone over these doors. And so... That's where we left off uh, last week with the body uh, left in the tomb. Uh, Verse 62 again says, On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remembered while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Uh, therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception uh, will be worse than the first. So, uh, important information here. It's interesting that Jesus' prediction, we read here, which he declared numerous times, uh, uh, throughout his ministry, particularly on his way t- uh, through uh, to Jerusalem, we saw. Uh, last time we saw it was in Matthew 20, but there's every reason to believe that he had repeated it. Uh, that was the third time he had said it, but there's every reason to believe he had repeated it a number of times. But we read here, it was a common fact. It wasn't just a, a secret uh, that was uh, left uh, to the inner circle. It was common knowledge. And so they're, they're going to Pilate and saying, look, you know, this is what he said. Uh, Let us not, let the the disciples sort of perpetrate a deception on us to make that come true. And so, um, uh, verse 65 says, Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now, when Pilate says, You have a guard, he was referring to... Uh, he was referring to uh, not just one guard, but a group of soldiers who were assigned to the temple. Uh, Now, uh, soldiers wouldn't have been allowed in the the temple because they were Gentiles that would have defiled uh, the temple. But the temple uh, was a place where often there was a lot of sort of foment and uprisings would foment there. And and so you bet that the Romans uh, wanted to be nearby. So they had actually a, a contingent of Roman soldiers who used to uh, hang out. I think it was on the north side of the temple. And and so uh, Pilate says, "You have a guard. Uh, go your way." Uh, go your way. And so uh, uh, they, um, the guard that was assigned to the temple uh, was brought there. And so they, in verse uh, 66 it says, So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard. So the seal was made out of wax or something like that. Uh, it would have broken if anyone tried to enter it. It was a way of preventing... People from going and stealing away the body. And so uh, it says that the guard was set. And then we come to Matthew twenty-eight. Truly one of the great chapters of the Bible. Verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day at the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So, you know, when we see these pictures of angels and uh, portraits and paintings and Michelangelo's, you know, we see these little things. They, they look kind of like baby Anna, you know, uh, Scott and Amy, uh, baby, or Joshua or Annie or, or Mary Beth, and they have little wings and little smiles on their face, ah. You know, And they're like hovering over someone. Well, uh, you, know, you want to know what angels are like? Uh, uh, that's not what angels are like. Uh, it, it's nothing of the kind. Uh, this is what angels um, are like. Here you have it. Uh, this angel was so awesome, uh, so huge, uh, so powerful, he comes in and he creates an earthquake. I mean, you thought Mike McMillan was strong. I mean, here's an angel, angel that comes in and just... You know there's an earthquake literally that uh, uh, results because of it and 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 it says not only uh, an earthquake it says a great earthquake Now guess what the Greek word is for that word great mega I mean there was a mega earthquake and and so uh, there was a lot of mega things going on in Palestine uh, uh, during this few days two thousand years ago. so this angel, this angelic being the the awesome creatures uh, single-handedly uh, rolls back a two-ton stone and, and what does he do he rolls it back and he like just hops up on it and sits down it's like oh did that you know it says he it says there in the verse he he just sits down he sat down he sat on it at the end of uh, verse two at the end of verse two, and then it says uh, is it, it says in verse uh, four, it says, "And the guards shook for fear of him, and he became and they became like uh, dead men. Notice the plural there. There were multiple guards, they became like dead men, they shook for fear, and then uh, look what happens. He turns uh, to the women. In verse 5, it says, And the uh, angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid.
1: Yeah, right.
0: You know, don't be afraid. You know, here's this 15-foot being in front of me, and I have these Roman soldiers to to my left or whatever. They're shaking like dead men, and you're telling me uh, not to be afraid? Wow, you know, these angelic creatures, I'm sure they were uh, shaking in their boots. You know, Psalm 91.11 says, God shall give his angels a charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That's what the Bible says. Hebrews uh, uh, one fourteen says that, Are not angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister uh, uh, to those who inherit salvation? Listen, the next time you're watching the news or whatever and a rock star comes on the scene, Madonna or whoever, she's got these big old hunky bodyguards. You know, lest assure one thing, your bodyguards could flick them away with one of their fingers. I mean, the Bible says that, that if you are born again, if you are in Christ, God sets the angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That should be an encouragement to us. And by the way, we w- we'll read later on in chapter 28, it says Jesus has power and authority, of all, in all, all power and authority in heaven and in earth. He has authority over all these, uh, uh, these guys or beings, uh, these angels. And so, uh, verse 5 again, it says, But the angel sa- answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, one of the reasons we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse in Calvary Chapel is because we don't want to miss anything, and I I don't want us to miss the significance of those last three words, who was crucified. It's the angel speaking. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, we know from verse 39 of chapter 27 that hundreds, possibly even thousands of people, witnessed Jesus being crucified. It says there in uh, verse 39, it says, And all those who pass by, what the Romans did is they crucified people to, to teach a, a lesson. They put them right on the side of a road. And we know that at this time for Passover, at this time, we know from Josephus, among others, that one, two million men, every, every year, uh, uh, every Jewish man needed to go to Jerusalem three times, required by Mosaic Laws for three of the feasts. Passover was one of the feasts. And so an enormous amount of people coming into the city. Passover was that night, according to the book of John, we know. And, and so there's people coming into the city and witnessing this, uh, hundreds, possibly thousands, of, uh, of people witnessing uh, Jesus uh, being crucified on the cross. But don't forget, all of heaven witnessed it too. And that would have been, by the way, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, ...of angels. This angel says, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. This angel witnessed it too. The Bible says that Jesus Christ uh, was slain before the foundation of the world. uh, Meaning God's plan for salvation of mankind was set in place before the world was ever created. And let me tell you, since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, all of heaven had been waiting for this moment had been waiting for this moment. And it's, it's really profitable to think about heaven's perspective on the cross sometimes. You know, you and I are not the only ones weeping when we see sin ravaging the world, wreaking havoc out there. God and his angels do too. They're weeping. And, and, you know, God and all his heavenly uh, hosts, you know, more than we can ever imagine, they were anticipating the triumph over sin by Jesus on the cross. Not that their hearts were not breaking seeing the Son of God bleeding and dying on the cross. But they wanted the power and the penalty of sin to be done away with. Can you imagine in the angelic realm? Can you imagine what God and the angels see, witness on any given day on planet Earth? Can you imagine what goes before their eyes? some of the crimes that are reported, the crimes against uh, uh, children and, and, and the crimes against uh, women. I don't know if any of you have been reading about what's been happening to the women in the Congo, the systematic rape and dismemberment. You know, I can only take so much. In fact, I've learned I can't even function unless after I've seen something like that, I get it out of my mind. Can you imagine what the Lord sees? What the angelic host sees? every hour of the day. But let me tell you, what's more, we can only imagine how much they wanted to see the power of sin, the the, the, the very thing that is wreaking that havoc that they have to witness every day. How much they wanted to see the power of sin, the penalty of sin, uh, done away with on the cross. No, as we read in the book of Revelation, uh, uh, we read it during our study of Matthew 24 uh, uh, the angels are looking with equal anticipation to Jesus returning again and wiping out sin entirely, but how much they would have anticipated the cross when Jesus was slain for the sins of the world so that through him the sons and daughters of men would be rescued from the dominion of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and brought unto us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through His blood. So all heaven was waiting for the cross. And so the angel says to Mary, I, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And verse 6, But He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead and indeed He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. G.V. Hardy, who is a Canadian philosopher, wrote a book entitled Countdown, A Time to Choose. The book revolves around Life's two great questions. One, has anyone defeated death? And two, if so, has he made a way for us to do the same thing? You know, America is obsessed with death. And it's not alone. The book of Hebrews actually says that, um, plainly, in chapter 2, it says that the whole world is enslaved by the fear of death. But in this country, billions of dollars a year are spent in the effort to put put it off as long as possible. And death has a stigma to it. And it's amazing what Americans will do to try to mask the reality of death. I heard about a hospital... Uh, in its desperate attempt to promote, you know, a positive thinking environment in the hospital, they actually tried to do away with the word. Can you imagine a hospital of all places trying to do away with the word death? And so they tried to take it from the uh, death from their vocabulary. Instead of using the word death, they used the phrase negative incident. And so, uh, when a patient's heart stopped, instead of saying the patient died, they would say, well, the patient had uh, a negative incident. Uh, can you imagine? You know, your loved one is in like a life-threatening surgery and, and the surgeon comes out to you after and, 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 you, and you ask the surgeon, well, so, so how is she? Well, well, she had a negative incident. Oh, well, thank God, she didn't die. I thought she was going to die. Well, no, you don't understand. She had a real negative incident. <laughs> Well, you know, it could have been worse, no, no, she died. <coughs> she died you know they don't and then the hospital police come and take the surgeon off. you know they, they, you know, how, how crazy is this? you know but but there's such an uh, again, uh, it, the, there's an obsession about death and sort of just trying to uh, put it even the word under the uh, under the rug. Has anyone defeated death? Uh, if so. Has He made a way for us to do the same thing? In his book, G.B. Hardy finds the answer to both those things in the resurrection. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, the the apostle Paul declares, But now Christ is risen from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since by man came death, By man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so, in Christ all shall be made alive. In Christ all shall be made alive. Hebrews 2.15 says, Christ came to release all those who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. So no longer must we be obsessed about death. Uh, No longer do we have to fear it or be superstitious of it. Uh, No longer do we have to sweep the subject under the rug uh, make up other names for it. Vainly try to put it off beyond the time appointed for us. We can embrace death uh, as the time when we'll finally be present with the Lord unhindered uh, by our fallen nature and our fallen bodies. Wow. Brothers and sisters, you have before you this morning the most powerful, wonderful news ever delivered to a human being. Verse 6, he is not here. He is risen as he said. Notice how the angel, by the way, doesn't say, well, listen, trust me, uh, he's, not, he's not there in the tomb. <laughs> no, the angel says, he goes on to say, he says, come and, and look. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. This is important. They weren't just believing a story from uh, an angel. Uh, they were eyewitnesses to the fact that his body was gone. The Bible is a book of, hi- of history grounded in eyewitnesses. Uh, own testimony, Second Peter one sixteen, the apostle Paul, uh, Peter declares, uh, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then verse 9, it says, And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So let's stop there for a second now. Rejoice. This is important. Here Jesus is telling them, you could say he's commanding them, to rejoice. There is a time to mourn at the foot of the cross. There's a time to remember that it was our sin that put Him there. There's a time for that. But brothers and sisters, Jesus does not want you to remain in your mourning. And what a great tragedy it is when some churches want to keep their people in mourning with their messages, their crucifixes, their stained glass windows uh, uh, that, that they have to the, keep the body of Jesus on the cross and, 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 and they keep everyone in mourning. And Jesus doesn't want us to stay in mourning. He says, Rejoice is what he says here. Rejoice. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And what is the the joy in? It's the joy of the resurrected Lord. It's not the the joy of uh, of a body on the cross. We're supposed to mourn uh, uh, after that, over that. But it's the joy. We're supposed to move on into the joy of the resurrected life. And so it says again, It says Jesus met them saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Now, I'm not going to get into this subject uh, this morning. I tend to do this more in Easter, but there is just an overwhelming body of evidence that every man and woman, if they're honest with themselves, must reckon with that the body was gone. And it was gone for good. It wasn't stolen away. Jesus didn't fall into a swoon. There's one uh, theory called the swoon theory that he sort of fainted. And they got him off the cross and he went into Turkey or something, married Mary Magdalene and had four kids. I mean, all these crazy stories. But, but the evidence is there uh, that, they, um, that he was gone. He was written. The Apostle Paul said 500 people over 500 people witnessed him after he uh, rose from the dead. Uh, so anyway, uh, this... Uh, uh, this chicanery and mac, uh, this little uh, device and deception was uh, conjured up uh, in order to uh, sort of deal with uh, the thing that they, they was the reality that was right before their eyes that Jesus was gone. Uh, but uh, I wanted it to continue. It says, Then the uh, eleven disciples went into Galilee to the mount which Jesus had appointed for them. So they went up to northern Israel uh, to get where Galilee was. And it says in verse 17, it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. So, you have the women who were told by the angel, "Go go forth and tell the disciples to go into Galilee. And about two or three steps into their obedience, isn't this often how how, how it works? Who do they see? Jesus. That's so often how it works for us. As soon as we obey, we see Him for all He is. And it says... um, that they worshipped him in verse 9. And, and then the disciples went uh, to uh, Galilee and to the mountain which Jesus had appointed. And uh, many believe that this is the, uh, the same place where, the, uh, where he was transfigured on the Mount Mount Hermon. And so, verse 17 though, it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him. And so this is where God wants you. He wants you to leave your morning and rejoice and worship. That's where he wants you. He wants you to leave your mourning and rejoice and worship. John Piper, the pastor and author, says this about worship. First, he sort of muses on why it is that people worship. And this is what he says. Why did Anne Rand, who died in the early 1980s, apparently as a convinced atheist, say that admiration is one of the greatest and rarest pleasures? So he's questioning, why is it that admiration or worship, why is that one of the greatest and rarest pleasures? pleasures Then he goes on why is there such a thing as stardom in the world of popular music and theater and sports why are scenic cruises and scenic tours and 45 dollar coffee table scenic books a multi-million dollar business i believe the answer is that the essence of humanness is the appetite for great beauty. Or to put it in a more God-centered way, God has made us with a hunger to worship Him. The great tragedy of the human race is that we were made to find infinite joy by admiring God, but have become so blind And so foolish that we spend energy and time and money seeking out things in the world to satisfy our insatiable craving to admire a greatness and beauty. The irony of our human condition, and there's no one who is an exception, is that God put us within sight of the Himalayas, and we choose instead to pull down the blinds of our chalet and show slides of Buck Hill. You can just use our Bunker Hill. He's in Minnesota. We're in Boston. But every single person here knows that it hasn't worked. Our posters and our postcards and rock stars and scenic tours and glossy books have never satisfied the deepest longing of our heart. They give some pleasure and at most they make the drudgery of life just a little more livable. Why is it that the best Our worship can do when we're sort of worshiping the world and what the created rather than the creator. Why is it that at best it makes the world just a little more livable? To make the drudgery of life just a little bit more tolerable? I'll tell you why it's because the power of the people we worship in the world is just so limited the courage of the people we worship is just so fa- is is so flawed the kindness of the people we worship is, is just so far far short and fleeting than what we want and need. The perfection that we worship is really gross imperfection. The the purpose in their lives of the people we worship uh, is at the end of the day pointless. What we long to see and know is a person whose power is unlimited, whose courage is unflinching, whose kindness is as tender as it is everlasting, whose perfection is perfection, whose purpose is single and unflinching. John Piper continues, novelists and poets and movie makers and TV writers now and then create a shadow of this person, but they can no more fill our longing to worship than this month's National Geographic can satisfy my longing for the Chatuga River, for B.R. Charles River. We must have the real thing. We must have the real thing. We must see the original of all the power and kindness and purposefulness. We must see and worship the living Christ. The living and risen Christ. And that is what happened on that Resurrection Day morning 2,000 years ago. And also with the disciples when they went to Galilee. We must see and worship the risen Christ. Now, notice how in verse 17 it says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, that is, that is an unsettling kind of thing, isn't it? I mean, th- these are the 11 disciples. 12 minus Judas. Why are they doubting? They're, they're seeing the resurrected Christ. Why, why or how could they possibly be doubting? Now, uh, this word, this Greek word here for doubt is only used one other time in, in the whole Bible. And it's used when, remember when Jesus was walking on water, he, uh, Peter wants to go out to him, he does, and uh, as Peter's g- uh, going towards him, As Peter's going towards him, uh, he gets worried because of the waves and the wind, and he starts to sink, and and Jesus says, Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Same word there. There's a similar but a different word used in the book of James, where uh, James is talking about uh, getting wisdom, godly wisdom. And he he makes a statement, Let not a person who is double-minded think you will receive anything from the Lord. And that double-minded, similar to the word doubt, but it, really what it means is uh, the uh, literal translation is double-souled. double sold Two souls. Why do we doubt? Why did they doubt? Because our heart somewhere along the line have picked up or has picked up some other priority. That's the very heart of doubting. Somewhere along the line, we've picked up some other priority. I have a question for you this morning, even as we close here. Have you picked up along the way some other priority in your life that is the source, that is becoming the source of uh, of doubt that is preventing you from worshiping the risen and the living God? Have you picked up something along the way? Let me tell you, God will give you the grace to put it to death, to put that other priority to death. There were those on the mountain who were worshiping Him. They were like, wow, Jesus, our Lord. They were worshiping Him. But there were others who were doubting priority that other priority had come in. God will give you the grace to put that debt that other, that other world that worldly priority to death so that you can see the the, the the living Christ as he is and that's the good news that is why people that's why Jesus says rejoice don't fear anymore, rejoice. God wants us to leave our mourning, the condemnation that has come from living by other and for other priorities. And he wants us to leave the mourning and he wants us to rejoice and he wants us to worship, to worship him. Jesus says, said to the woman at the well, my father seeks those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray that God will do that with us Uh, this morning as we walk out of here uh, today. Let's pray. Father, we, we all, Lord, just confess as one body, Lord, that we have let other priorities come into our life, Lord. We pick them up along the way. Lord, God, and there's, there's doubt there, there's confusion, there's distraction. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we ask for the grace to put those things to death. Lord Jesus, I think of your word. In the book of Romans, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that the body of sin would be done away with, and that we would walk in newness of life, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come in. Come inside of us. Fill us. Fill us to overflowing. God, that that we would worship you. Lord Jesus, that we would worship you, our living Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay.